So when I discovered Sabrina Scott, I knew I had to get her on the show. Sabrina is a spiritual teacher and tarot reader with clients and students worldwide. She teaches people how to get in touch with themselves and their own power through spirituality with integrity. And on top of that, she built a thriving online business. So I asked her about her story, how she got started. We talk about money mindset, about pricing your offers, about um, femininity and masculinity in the online business world, and so much more. It's a really amazing conversation that we had, and I really can't wait um, for you to meet Sabrina, and I know you're going to fall in love with her offers just as I did. So um, without further ado, let's get started. Hey there, welcome to the Blissful Bliss Podcast. I'm your host, Susanne Reicher, here to help yoga and wellness entrepreneurs build a thriving online business. If you're ready to make a bigger impact and earn money online, you are in the right place. Each week you learn about websites, digital products, social media strategies, and what's working now to build your online business. And now let's get started. Hi, Sabrina. Welcome to the Blissful Biz Podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you. I want to hear everything about you, but maybe we can start with you just giving a short introduction about what you do, who you are, so our listeners can learn a little bit more. Awesome. Oh my God. I do way too many things, to be honest, <laughs> uh, but the very short version is... I write books on spirituality. I'm doing a PhD in science, <laughs> focusing on spirituality and positive impacts on health, specifically trauma. And then the other bit is I happen to own and run an online teaching business in the wellness space, focusing on spirituality, most specifically tarot and witchcraft. It's a very short version. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think you um, introduced yourself on your website as being at your, that you grew up in modern American spiritualism. What do you mean by that, actually? That's an amazing question. Yeah, so spiritualism is a religion that popped up in uh, upstate New York in the United States in the mid-1800s, and it considers itself a science, a religion, a philosophy, all these wonderful things. And so if you've ever heard of seances or mediums or anything like that, spiritualism is probably where a lot of people are getting their ideas about what all these things are. So there's a lot of energy healing, there's mediumship where mediums will channel messages from spirits to the audience or congregation. It's a good time. <laughs> It's a very good time. But uh, growing up within all of that context led me to have a very different idea than most people on what normal is and what reality is. So energy work, uh, feeling the vibes, doing stuff with the vibes, chatting with spirits, all of that stuff was a very mundane part of my childhood. And so it really created a bit of a base for what I'm able to do today. I love it. So I love that you're, you're doing so many things and your bio on your website also reads like 
think you have like you've done a ton of things. Like I think you published a comic book about witches, which looks so amazing. And of course, you've done all kind of online courses. And I would love to hear more about that. Um, so that's like a big focus on for this podcast. So can you talk a little bit more about that? How you get started teaching online, doing the things you do online? Yeah, I love this question. So I was actually a university professor for about four years. So I was creating my own courses, teaching in the classroom. And eventually... When was that? When was that? When was that? Um, I think I quit in 2019. Okay. So it was... I'm really terrible with math. <laughs> so like <laughs> my four years is, I guess, that whole time. Like I started when I was quite young like mid twenties. And it was a great experience. I learned a lot about teaching. I became incredibly confident about how to teach and how to just babble at like for three hours to a room of like 200 grumpy teenagers. <laughs> so I learned a lot about teaching, but I really didn't like a lot of the elements of teaching in a university system. I did not like the administration. I didn't like the McDonaldification of the university, which is really happening. Like they've really seen students as customers in this interesting way. And so there was starting to be some censorship around what I could and couldn't teach. And I found that to be a bit of a limitation on my academic freedom. I did not like any of that. And I didn't like the babysitting aspect of it. Like I kind of did feel at some points like a bit of a glorified babysitter for some very grumpy teenagers. And so I decided to quit. So I was like, screw this. I am going to do something else. I don't like all of these different things about it. And realistically, also, there is a bit of an income uh, ceiling okay. for, for university teaching. And so I quit. And so I decided just on a whim to really try to do an online course. And so I had no training on this at all whatsoever, but I sent out, I have a pretty okay Instagram following. Like I'm, I'm getting there. I think when I started off with online teaching, it was maybe 7,000 on Instagram, maybe something like that. And so I just sent out to my Instagram stories, just a blanket call. I was like, you know what, if you're interested in maybe learning tarot from me, I'm thinking of doing a little six week thing. Uh, send me your email and I'll give you some more information as soon as I can come up with it. So a bunch of people did. And I sent out this email to maybe 36 people. And I think 10 people were on board. Oh, that's amazing. So you pre-sold it basically your idea. Yeah. It was amazing. And so honestly, that first, I think I only made like $3,000 from that. Honestly, it was like, I was significantly underpriced it. Uh, it was just taught live, but I really just wanted to experiment and see what would happen. Would people be interested in this? Did I like doing it? Is it possible? And so honestly, that first $3,000 made me so joyful and excited at the potential of this avenue of online teaching. 
I love that. I think I felt the same. And I had, I went even less with my first online course. But yeah, this potential that you can then sell it again and again. And um, just working with people, suddenly they're interested in what you teach. Um, I think it's amazing. I'm just so grateful for this journey. It was yeah. so exciting. And so after that was successful and went really well, I decided to actually pre-record all the lessons, like kind of build it out. So it was a little bit more in depth. So it wasn't just six live sessions. It was 10 modules, like 10 videos each over 20 hours of content with worksheets and all of this. And so, but the first round you taught live or live. Oh, okay. I did not actually, I should probably shouldn't say this, but I didn't prep. <laughs> like I just know the material so well yeah. that I could show up and talk. Like it really wasn't a big deal. So like I had a theme for every week and they all knew what the theme was going to be. And I just showed up and talked, answered questions and made sure that we all understood what was going on and everyone loved it. So that was just kind of the first version of this. And then since then it's kind of built and built and it's become more combination of that standing recorded pre-recorded content combined with the some of the live teaching as well. But to be honest, like it all started with that first like scrappy, sloppy, let's just see if anyone wants to do this and let's see if I even like doing this. And then that kind of made me see like, wow, this could be something that I actually really build and build and build because ultimately like reading tarot, which is, was a, like the biggest part of my business way back when I started this, like it's only so scalable because you are doing this trading time for money thing. Yeah. And you're only working with one person at a time. And so I did see myself kind of hitting a bit of a ceiling with that because I can't do like 10 tarot readings a day. It's way too, energetically draining. And so this was a way to kind of teach a large amount of people the same thing that I would be teaching, let's say one-on-one -on -one in a very like DIY um, newbie tarot mentorship or magic mentorship. So I love it. I think it's a great, great vibe. <laughs> I've been having a really fun time with it. Honestly, it's been awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. Sounds so cool. Um, so the focus um, in the beginning was on Instagram. Did you then, do you still rely on Instagram or did you also build your email list and really work on that since you started? Yeah, great question. So I have been building an audience on Instagram for a really long time, <laughs> kind of for no reason. And it just happened a little bit by accident. Like I just started off sharing random thoughts that I had about this or that. And then slowly but surely it kind of built up to be a, my own business Instagram, to be honest with you. And so now like the business and the personal is kind of merged in as one thing. But when I started, it was only personal. Okay. I, I had no intention of kind of starting a business after I did launch that initial like $3,000 scrappy uh, video course. Then I was like, okay, I should probably make this a little bit more uh, <laughs> like fancy like I should probably actually make an email list as opposed to these like literally just text emails sent out and like uh like the blind copy to <laughs> to everyone like, yeah, actually it's not even legal so if anybody's listening and thinking it's okay to do that unfortunately it's not you need give you have to give people the option to unsubscribe so yeah, you have, totally. really have to use an email 
sort of yeah, provided to. It's so interesting. So that BCC, like I only did it people who were like, please tell me about this online course. And that was it. That's all I emailed them about. That was it. So hopefully that wasn't breaking any laws because they... <laughs> no, don't worry about it. It happened in the past. Happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyways, so from there, I was like, oh yeah, email list, great idea. And so I have used Instagram to build up the email list uh, through running ads to landing pages and all of that fun stuff. And so... Right now, they are kind of interlinked and I use one to build the other. Like on my newsletter, okay. I say, here, this is what's happening on Instagram. Here's an interesting post I made recently in case you missed it. And then I also drive people to my email list uh, through Instagram. Though I definitely have more followers on Instagram than I do my email list. So it's, it's not different. the same um, kind of it's engagement, different. right? It's like a different... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's been interesting though. It's been interesting. And I definitely still use Instagram a lot for sure. Okay. How do you, do you also use it like social selling or do you use it, your DMs or is it more like you share in your stories, in your posts, what yeah. you're doing? Kind of both. I definitely feel like I make most sales just through my email list. I think that tends to be where people buy. And I think that could be because, um, until very recently, I actually launched this like $97 affirmations audio series. So it's just six affirmations for okay. super cheap. So I launched that this past month, actually. So that's brand new. But other than that, my courses are a few grand. So it's expensive for most people. Mm -hmm. And so I think because of that high price point, um, or whatever moderate price point, I guess, depending on what lens uh, your finances allow people. I would call it a higher price point, yeah. definitely, especially in the wellness world. You're not really teaching yeah. people how to build a business or something, right? So, so I it's definitely a higher price point. Yeah. And so I think because of that, people really do want to just sit with my sales page and like sit with that course info page for quite a long time and read all of the content on there and make sure that they're really serious about, let's say, committing to and investing in my course. So I think, and I could be wrong, but I feel like that kind of social selling where it is a little bit maybe more impulsive, it's at a lower price point, it's not that big of a deal. It can be a bit easier to do those conversions in the DMs. I have done a lot of conversions in the DMs, but I feel like people are generally viewing my websites about the courses, not on their phone, but on their desktop computer. Yeah. So they actually can take all the information in. And so I think that could be part of why email seems to be working a little bit better. I think, it's, I think it's like all the studies prove that as well, that emails has the highest conversion rates. So I think it's like all interacting together. It's like the the magic, right? So people you use Instagram for people to get to know you, you build trust, um, you attract new people into your world and and then they get into yeah, they get into your world. So hopefully this if they're interested to learn more, they sign up for your email list. Totally. Yeah, for sure. And I think since my price point is what it is, like some people take years to decide to commit. And like, that doesn't bother me at all. It's like, let's hang out, get to know me, no problem. It's all good. So that's part of why I love Instagram. Like it, people get to know me as a person. Like I'm not just this like faceless business. Like they get to see the weird memes that I share and like my sense of humor and I don't know, my messy office and my cats <laughs> eating something weird. Like, 
I think that it builds this whole idea of that is, I think, a little bit more complete of who someone is. And I think because of that as well, people do tend to give me like a lot of grace and understanding and patience. Like I'm someone that has disabilities. Also, my te- like my technology was just weird the past few days. So I've had to reschedule a bunch of people. Sometimes I have to reschedule people because I'm got like a disability flare or something like that. And so since I've never pretended to be this like perfect, shiny, <laughs> like brand. <laughs> I think that's something we can be grateful for on social media. I mean, it's so easy to say social media is evil and I hate it and blah, and I don't want to do Instagram and all that. But really, it's this. Um, what did we have before social media to really share this personal side of ourselves, to build like this kind of personal brand um, and share our vulnerabilities and be authentic? There wasn't really anything. There still isn't anything else, right? Yep, totally. I agree. Um, there, like, there was, it was like, personal essays and magazines or like memoirs or maybe a documentary on Netflix. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And like that stuff is so slow. It's not immediate. Like publishing is so slow. Like if you write a book, it takes like three years for it to come out because of the whole publishing mechanics of it. But social media, it's so immediate and people can collectively respond in real time to what their day-to-day experience is. And there's something I think really beautiful about that. And not to sound idealistic, but it always disappoints me when people have this 100% negative view of social media. Like, I just feel like if that's true for anyone, they're probably like doing it a bit to themselves. You know what I mean? Cause it's like it, you can curate whatever you want it to be. And if something bums you out, you don't have to subscribe to it. You don't have to look yeah. It's yeah. It positive, high vibe and educational and inspiring. And I find social media to be incredibly inspiring. Like it gives me energy. It definitely doesn't take it away. I think very often it's like fears of of showing up, you know, that stops people from wanting to be on social media. They feel people would judge them or they just don't feel ready. Mm-hmm. And that's just like, yeah, limited, self-limiting Limited beliefs. beliefs. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I think did you have times where you didn't want to use social media? Do you did you have phases where you were less active or took a break or Yeah, actually, you know what? I think July 2020, I took a month off Instagram. I still did my newsletter. I still showed up to teach uh, in my courses, which have a little private course community, but I took a month off Instagram. It was awesome, actually. It was super fun. And it's not because I don't like Instagram. It was just fun to just have a bit of a break and just have that time and space to creatively replenish and only listen to my own brain without any external input. Um, I missed the communities. Like I have a lot of, like I do engage in the DMs. I do engage in the comments. Like I'm very engaged with my audience and I love those connections. I find them to be real and authentic in like a big way. So I did miss, miss that a bit, but it was very creatively rejuvenating to just have that space away. And then I came back in August and did a launch and it was my biggest launch ever. Wow. That's amazing. (laughs) And I wasn't too sure if that was going to go over well, because I was like, Oh my God, I'm taking a whole month off Instagram. Like is the algorithm gonna kick me in the ass and like not, you know, react well with my launch and all of this. But it actually, I think actually the opposite ended up happening. 
But do you think that Instagram still played a big role in your launch, like what you posted, or did you use other tools like ads or? No, I don't actually do ads specifically around my launches, which might sound odd. And I realize that most people probably do. But for me, it is just so much more like my, I have the same ads running all the time, like 24 okay. 365. Like I don't really change it up. It's like the lead magnets. There you go. Um, so I think personally, it kind of icks me out when people do ads specifically around launches. Um, but that's just a me thing. <laughs> not, not judging anyone else. It just doesn't work for me. So I went on live a lot. I posted like a lot of IGTV videos and I linked them in my newsletter. And so there was this kind of cross pollination happening there that I think worked really well. And it was a brand new course as well that I was launching. So I think people were just like, revved up and it was at a point in the pandemic where I think people were excited about online learning and so I'm really hoping that that continues that online excitement so I think yeah. it is so powerful and it's there is just something different about online learning like I do love learning in person for sure with some things but I think the online learning space like it's global you can listen to it multiple times you can pause it take notes you can multitask, like listen to it in the bath or making breakfast or whatever. And I think there's something so potent about that that I hope people don't reject once the pandemic like relaxes. <laughs> I'm sure. No, I'm pretty sure it's going to continue to grow. It's still just the beginning where we are with online learning. Like there's so many predictions, like even before the pandemic, it was like predicted to explode the online learning market. And now thanks to the pandemic, so many more people got comfortable um, doing things online. I mean, of course, it's speaks to maybe a certain type of people differently. Like I love online learning. When I discovered online courses, I was so excited. I was, I was like that already when I went to school. I was, I like figuring things out myself. I didn't like the teacher. Like I was just bored when they went on and on and on. I was like, I, I got that. I got that. <laughs> so I agree. Yeah. I agree completely. Like I'm a bit of an introvert, which tends to surprise people because my persona online is a little bit big, I guess. But yeah, I relate to that 100%. Like people who do pick up information quickly can get a little bit bored with that in-person instruction where you do have to, like as someone who's done it, like you do have to make sure that that person who is like lagging along at the back, you have to make sure that they get it. And as a teacher in person, I love doing that. It's totally cool. But as a learner, it is uh, really nice to be able to be like, yep, okay, got it. And just kind of move along at that pace. And I yeah. think as someone with disabilities as well, like I can't always get to the in-person thing. And so yeah. online learning, I can always turn on my computer. Even if so, I feel like yeah, and you, and you have so many things that you can learn that you would never be able to get like somewhere where you live, right? Yeah. I think that's so amazing. And it's not yeah, I didn't want to say that it's um, online learning is great for people who are learn who are fast learners or something. Um, it's just it's also a personality thing. Also, totally. some people just like thrive when they have that one on one or personal connection is what they need is what they want and it's how they learn. So yeah. Um, I would love to hear more about your journey because it's something that came up a lot with my students and with what I'm teaching is like how you come up with your pricing points. So mm -hmm. what it took like from launching your first online course that you say now you 
really underpriced to asking for multiple thousands of dollars for an online program? How did you get there? Yeah, that's such a great question. So I feel like pricing is so personal. And I feel like there's kind of two sides to it, right? So like when I first started, I'll just start, I guess, with an example of like charging for tarot and then parlay to the course stuff. So when I first started charging for tarot, I was charging like $80 Canadian an hour. But now my tarot pricing is for two hours, it's like 900 US. And people pay it. Which is amazing. Uh, actually, like this, it didn't um, decrease my clientele to increase my prices. At the same time, if I charged that much when I first started, I wouldn't have been able to have the confidence in myself to be able to stand behind that price. I think that's always like this thing we have to own our prices. Yeah, really. And honestly, like if I charged that price right out the gate, I actually don't know that it would have been worth that much. To be honest with you. Like I think over the years, I've gained confidence, experience, more skills. I've gained so much. And like over the time, I've gotten more degrees. I have was a prof. Like I've got all this kind of like value add, I guess you could say, that's happened since I was starting off with that $80 an hour. And so what I see that does concern me sometimes is you see some newer, like brand new course creators or brand new readers or brand new service providers in any way that they get really inspired by people who are further along in their journey. And they want to start off with those, let's say, premium, premium luxury pricing. And often what I find is that that ends up kicking people in the ass a bit (laughs) because the product maybe isn't worth that much yet. And or not always, I saw your expression, (laughs) not always, but I think sometimes. And sometimes that lack of confidence means that the full thing is not delivered to let's say that that luxury pricing point yet. So I think it's like know yourself, know where you're at. And I do feel like that kind of gradual increase is something that worked really well for me. Like if people are listening to this, they're like, no, I want to charge premium off the bat. Go for it. Prove me wrong. I'm, I'm happy when people do that. Um, but in my own experience, if I charge like a bazillion dollars right off the bat, again, I don't think the program would have been worth it in the first run. Just because I was still working out the kinks, I was still kind of working it out. I was still figuring out the format. And so that early low pricing made some sense both for me mentally as well as just the quality of the product at that point since it was like beta beta launch version so i think my first pricing was maybe like i can't remember it was somewhere between 300 and 600 bucks for a 6 week live talk thing and that was awesome and i think when i rejigged it i'm pretty sure it was like 997 it was like a thousand and so now that same course is uh way more than that how much is it now <laughs> i think self study is 2500 us and the group coaching version is 3500 us and so that particular course the tarot course that has now been running for Oh my God, three years now, something like that, two and a half years. Numbers, not my strong suit, but I stand by what that course is. And it, that was done after 
I did that kind of beta live thing. So this is all like 20 hours of work of that recorded content. And over time, I've been able to see that it act, how transformative it actually is. Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've seen people like build tarot reader careers off of taking my course. And so when I've been able to see that, I was like, oh shit, I'm like significantly undercharging because now so-and-so is like a professional tarot reader because they took my course. Like not to take full credit for people, but like I've been told by many, many folks that my courses, but I'm talking specifically about the tarot one at the moment, were so transformative and gave them all those skills to jumpstart a tarot business, let's say. And so I was like, oh, <laughs> in that case, I'm undercharging because clearly people are then um, mobilizing the value that I provided in that course to create their own businesses. And so I was like, okay, I need to like up my price here because that doesn't feel good anymore. And I think that for me is also a big arbiter is what feels good and what doesn't. Like if I start to feel resentful, that's when I raise my prices. Definitely. Yes. That's a um, that's a great point. Do you do you have any strategies or techniques to choose your price? Do you, for example, sit like with three different prices? Do you use the cards? <laughs> no, I don't actually. I don't use the cards um, at all to choose my prices. I just sit with it and just see how it feels in the body. I'm very intuitive, which I guess makes sense since I do I teach on spirituality, and so I'm a very like instinctive decision maker, and so. I just sit with it and see how it feels, like what feels like too much and what feels right. And then what feels like too little. And I think for me, just trusting that, that kind of deep feeling. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of my strategy. But I also love the strategy of first starting, collecting the testimonials, improving the product, and maybe already having like your end price in the back of your mind. Mm-hmm. That you like, so you know you're going to increase the price for your next launch, but for your first launch, you're going to start a little bit lower totally. and just to get those testimonials and to get started. But I don't want you to, to think that I mean you should start with, with a crazy low price point. I think 300 to 500 US dollars already like great medium priced online program. Um, because what I find, and maybe you've seen that too that with a higher price point people get better results because mm-hmm. they are more invested and they're actually going to do the work there's so many online courses that are just like collecting dust on the virtual shelf somewhere and i don't know if you've ever bought like this bundles of online courses where you get like 100 online courses or something for a hundred dollars i've bought that twice and i looked at maybe a handful and the rest is just like no it's too much and it doesn't f- feel valuable because you didn't pay for it It's crazy, but it's the way it is. Yeah, it's interesting the psychology that happens with that. It is really interesting. And I think the other thing I found interesting with all of this is as I've raised my prices, um, (laughs) this is going to sound so terrible, but I find people are more respectful. That's true. Yeah. I feel like when I was operating at a bit of a different level, like this has rarely been a problem for me. I think I'm so straightforward about who I am, what I do, how I do it. Like I think people who are not compatible with all of that do tend to kind of self-select out. So this is very, very rarely been an issue for me, but on the times that it has been like, I feel like the most problematic or difficult 
people have been when like my prices were, let's say like a lot lower. And I was a bit less confident in the value that I was providing. And so I was actually a little bit easier to like, you know, play with, let's say I'm picturing like my cat swatting around a mouse or something as I'm saying that. But yeah, I was a bit less confident back then. And so I was easier to annoy and to um, push around. Whereas now I would just fire the client if they behave that way. Like, and not think twice about it. No, but it's been my experience too. I had a pretty low price membership for a few years and people were so, not everybody. I mean, I have the most amazing and lovable students in the world, but there were people who were just like, I'm asking for a lot <laughs> all the time. And they paid like $27 a month or something. It was like, it wasn't really like, it made me feel resentful. And, um, and that was like, when I decided to stop that offer and not do that yeah. offer anymore. And even then they were like, no, you should offer it for free for us. And I'm like, no. <laughs> so interesting. Like one of the things that I've really been sitting with in terms of money psychology over the past few years is I only want to work with people now moving forward who are comfortable investing a lot of money in themselves. Hmm. Because I invest a lot of money in myself. I spend a lot of money on like my body and like appearance and all of that stuff. I spend a lot of time and money like doing other stuff for my body, like physio and all of these other things like massage, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, one of the things that really sticks out in my mind is I spent, I think, five grand on an online course at one point when I was making like $18,000 a year. And so whenever people tell me like, oh, I don't have the money or I can't afford it, I always like, I respect that always. And I'm never going to push back on somebody. It's like, it's just not my business. It's not my problem. But I want to work with people who are hungry, who have a drive to push themselves and to succeed no matter what, and who don't make excuses about shit. And so this, I can't afford it excuse. Like I just have got not too much patience uh, for that. Again, I'm just going to respect everyone where they're at, but I know for sure that I would not be where I am right now. If I didn't spend, I don't know, like more than 25% of my income that year when I was living like significantly below the poverty line on that particular thing, like it completely changed my life. Like I can say that for sure. And that was a big risk, but it was a calculated one. It's one that paid off. And I feel like I do not want to work with folks who I need to persuade them to value themselves enough to invest in themselves. Because yes. I feel like that's not my work to do. Like they can go to therapy and like, that's not my role. I'm not a therapist. So like go do that somewhere else. But I think that's another thing that has been important for me on this journey like self-transformation is so important to me. And I want, I don't want to be dealing with people's negative mindset. It sounds really terrible, but that is kind of how I feel over time. And as I've grown as a person and done a lot of my own self-work, like I still take online courses about this or that, and not even necessarily just about business, but about other things like relationships or whatever. And that has been, an incredible investment for, for me, for myself. And so I want to work with other folks who are, who don't need me to be their mom <laughs> and like, you know, push them off the cliff. It's like, I want folks who are able to kind of do that self-actualization 
themselves and then I can help them further transform through the work that I do. But I want them to like be able to get to that point of jumping, taking that leap, trusting, trusting themselves to make a good decision of a good investment. And then also trusting me that I'm not here to fuck them over. And that I also have their best interests in mind as I'm teaching them whatever the yeah. hell it is. Teaching them. I mean, the thing is you can work with everybody and it's great that you, I think it's like different levels. Like when I started my business, I wouldn't have invested this much money in programs and courses, what I'm spending now, which is insane. And I'm from Germany where everything is free, education, universities, everything. We are not used to spending a lot of money on these things, right? <laughs> on ourselves and our education. So um, it takes more time to grow into it in a way. And so I think that's, and maybe you've been the same, like when you just started, you maybe wouldn't have spent like what you're asking your students to pay now too. And you just like, evolved but, into that. But I think that's the thing is like, before I even had any online course, like I was paying arm and a leg, I guess you would say like five grand for someone who's making 18 grand is a lot of money. And yeah. so I did it. And so I think that's part of my whole mindset with this. Like, I'm not asking anyone to do anything that I myself have not done. Yeah. And I know, I know the power of it. It is transformative, even just psychologically to say, okay, yes, I'm making below the poverty line or whatever happens to be, but I am worth investing this much in. And that can be also this immensely powerful psychological shift that unlocks so mm. many other things. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I work with a lot of um, yoga teachers and healers who just earn so little money and are kind of like, like comfortable in a way with that. It's like, you know, like I'm just there to heal and to serve and money is not important and telling themselves all those stories. And, um, so, and so I'm, I want people to to leave that behind. And I think it's feminist to want to earn money and to want to be like the main income earner in your family. Why not the fuck? Why not? Right? Why depend on your husband to go to the office every single day and you just like having a little hobby? <laughs> so that's what it is for a lot of people. And at the same time, I'm just like becoming more and more aware of especially in this online business world of this kind of toxic mas masculinity. That's there and how launches are done, how things are sold with fake deadlines and all those things. And I'm struggling with, um, I don't want to tell people not to do that because I don't want them to stop earning money. I don't want to say that using strategies is going to help you earn more are wrong. I just want to experiment to find like strategies that still feel really aligned and more feminine and more intuitive, but they still work. That's like what I'm really working on right now. And yeah, it's so cool. It's so interesting. It's I so interesting. One thing that I've been noticing in these online business spaces too, is there is that toxic masculinity, but I feel like there's also that toxic femininity as well, where there is almost, at least in my observation, I think sometimes there can be too much. And I guess I'm a little bit hesitant to say too much, but for me, it can be a bit too much of this, reliance on um it, it's like we're all starting from like hating ourselves mm -hmm. sometimes i feel like a lot of feminine online business spaces like they spend so much time building people up and being like it's okay 
you're worthy. You don't have to make sandwiches for everybody. And it's like, I acknowledge that that, that kind of thing is going to resonate with so many people and be necessary for so many people. But I'm also just so sad that that is where so many folks are kind of starting from. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And it's, I don't see any of that in any of the, like, let's say masculine online coaching. Like there's this assumption, this baseline assumption that yes, we're all worthy of all the, and we can do other things. And they don't even have to say I'm the serving men. They don't have to say that. They don't have to exclude woman, right? By woman always like excluding men and saying, I'm working with female Christian entrepreneurs, which is like, okay, (laughs) but why? why? It's very interesting. I feel like the toxic femininity stuff for me, it can sometimes be, this like it's like a bit too soft for me at times it's just so i don't even know how to describe it but i i've been in so many of these spaces and it strikes me as just like some of there's some wallowing in there which you know we all need to wallow sometimes totally respect that we all go through that but it it just depresses me i think sometimes those those spaces where it is this toxic femininity where oh, I have to think more about this, honestly, but I think it there is something going on with it that I just don't know is always helpful mm. in terms of moving forward. It's like too much focusing on that past story to the point of it not being useful anymore. I think sometimes that past story is so important because it can help us catapult into the future and reclaim our power. But I think sometimes there is this focus, sometimes excessively so on, we're so disempowered, everyone hates women, blah, blah, blah. And I think, yes, that can be 100% true. And like we see the difference in income, at least in North America, between men and women. So I'm not saying that that doesn't exist. Of course it does. But I don't know how useful it is to spend too much time swimming in some of that, like, oppression or swimming in those bad feelings like i'm not suggesting that we all spiritually bypass at all like feel the things but i sometimes wonder how do we move on from that how do Mm. we how do we stay motivated how do we stay energized without having to base our our energy our vibe our our motivation on that past story of oppression like what else is there that can energize us and push us forward and motivate us yeah. to the world or succeed or whatever it is. I don't think I can really relate to that description. I've, I don't think I've ever experienced it this way. Um, so I have to think about that maybe for a little bit longer before, and then something will come up and I'm like, yeah, that, I know what she means now. But um, right now nothing really comes up. But what I see as a feminine thing is this, I don't want to sell. I don't want to annoy my audience. I don't want to send so many emails that's selling, um, you know, like, I, so I don't want to serve everybody. And I don't want to use those marketing strategies that are basically proven to work. <laughs> Um, because I don't know, they don't feel aligned. And it's this fear really again of stepping up and really, um, the fear of success maybe as well. Yeah. There's so many things, right? That play into it. Um, that I think, yeah, just like, uh, more women are struggling with that than men for sure. Yeah. It's like undervaluing yourself. Yeah. As well. Which is interesting. And I'm, I'm thankful for this conversation. But one of the, one of the reasons I'm thankful for this is like, 
I think we're highlighting that difference maybe between like mm. German European gender politics than what it's like in North America. And so that is going to make its way into how we all relate to these things. I think yeah, maybe. Yeah. Really, really interesting. Yeah. Ooh. That was such a cool conversation. Um, I think, yeah, <laughs> I think we're going to wrap it up. Um, is there anything else I should have asked you that you want our listeners to know about you? Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so where can people else? go to learn more about you? Oh man. Um, my Instagram, people can check out, uh, at Sabrina M. Scott. My website is sabrinamscott.com. My newsletter, of course, please subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> you have an amazing freebie. I put it to the sh in the show notes. Yeah, I have two. Uh, one of them is four easy breezy tarot spreads. And the other one is my top 13 witchy books. So happy to send along. Love the title. Do you write your copy yourself? Oh, yeah. Do you write it? Yeah. All right. of it. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was such an interesting conversation. I really loved having you in the show. So thank you so much for being here. That was an absolute blast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Blissful Biz Podcast. If you like the show, please leave a review on iTunes. This would mean the world to me. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to never miss a new episode. To learn more about how to work with me one-on-one, -on -one, my courses and membership, or to get instant access to freebies, workshops, and more, go to susannoreicher.com right now. Thanks for tuning in and see you next time. Hey there, interrupting for a short announcement. I'm hosting a virtual bootcamp to help you kickstart your online business from May 6th to May 10th, and I would love to see you there. It's the Make Your First or Next $5,000 online bootcamp, and you can save your spot for this free virtual event when you go to my website, susannereicher.com forward slash bootcamp. That's S-U-S-A-N-N-E-R-I-E-K-E-R.com forward slash bootcamp. I'm going to go live every day from Monday to Friday with a live training on how to elevate your vision, choose your profitable niche, amplify your content, nail down your signature offer to make your first or next $5,000. I can't believe how freaking fun, valuable, and powerful this virtual event is going to be. You'll get five live stream trainings, all of the recordings in case you can't make it live or need to leave early, access to my new community, the Midlife Biz Hive, including tons of additional trainings for you to dive in, the chance to ask any questions in our calls or in the community. It'll be amazing. This event is a real game changer, whether you're just starting out or you've been at it for a while, but feeling a bit stuck around the maybe $2,000 to $3,000 monthly mark. If you're eager for more and ready to figure out the online business puzzle, this is the perfect place to kickstart your journey to bigger and better results.